And what prompt is, is a tactile approach. So you, you touch their face, help guide their jaw to where it should be, help guide their cheeks and lips to make the right movements. It's easier to understand when someone gives you more cues, right? And a tactile Obviously. cue is very powerful. It's like my violin teacher, instead of telling me how to hold my bow, actually putting my fingers on the bow. Welcome to the Mindful SLP, the show that explores simple but powerful therapy techniques for optimal outcomes. I'm Denise Stratton, here with my co-host Dan, and today we're talking about one of my all-time favorite topics, prompt therapy. You've talked about prompt many times in the podcast, so today we're going to do an overview of prompt and finally let people know what it is. Yeah, I thought I should do that since I talk about it all the time. (laughs) And what prompt is, is a tactile approach. So you, you touch their face help guide their jaw to where it should be, help guide their cheeks and lips to make the right movements. It's easier to understand when someone gives you more cues, right? And a tactile cue is very powerful. It's like my violin teacher, instead of telling me how to hold my bow, actually putting my fingers on the bow, you know? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So is there much more to it than just that? Oh, there's so much more to prompt. (laughs) It's one of the many approaches used for apraxia and other motor speech disorders. But I just have to say, some speech disorders, we would not look at them and say that that's a motor speech disorder. Prompts helps you see that if they're not saying the sound right, Mm -hmm. most of the time there's some kind of motor component going on. So I took prompt initially because I thought, I really need to help these kids with apraxia. I really need to help my really severe clients. And I use it for so much. I use it for so many clients who have articulation goals. When did you first hear about Prompt? I think it was at a conference I went to on apraxia. Mm -hmm. I might have heard about it before, but really didn't know what it was. Seen advertisements and journals and things. But the presenter listed several different approaches of things we could do to help apraxic clients. And Prompt was just one of those. It was lumped in with various approaches. And that led me to think, okay, I've got this other approach, so I don't need prompt. And so it was a few more years before I actually took the prompt training, and that training was life-changing. Wow! I really have to tell you, therapist, in my opinion, in which obviously my opinion is biased, but I think it is the best approach to treat motor speech disorders like apraxia. How is it life-changing? What has it changed about your therapy? It showed me what I needed to pay attention to, what I needed to notice. I had noticed some things before about how important the jaw was, and I integrated that into my R book. What is really interesting is I had written the first draft of my book for Impossible R Made Possible, but I had noticed things about the jaw, and I noticed things about how clients who didn't have good jaw control couldn't get R, and I had started working towards that. Well, I took the prompt training and was like, oh, wow, this is all that and so much more. Wow. Prompt showed me, I guess we would call the hierarchy. There, mm-hmm. there is what they call a motor speech hierarchy. My orchestra teacher always said the orchestra is only strong as the weakest player. Mm-hmm. So if there is a speech system that is weak below what you're trying to correct, you're going to have a hard time correcting that, or it's going to take a long time, or it may not even be ever right. corrected if you don't fix what's lower down. So prompt taught me all these hierarchies to look at, mm-hmm. um, and that's what we're going to talk about. So this prompt technique really makes you step back and take a look at things. Oh boy, this sounds a lot like mindfulness and everything that you've been talking about. Is that (laughs) where it all came from? And observing, yeah. That kind of set me on the road to really paying more attention to my clients. And I thought I was good at paying attention to them, but I wasn't as good 
Because I get them in. <laughs> okay. What are we going to learn in today's podcast? What are we going to cover? I'm just going to cover those levels in the motor speech hierarchy. Obviously, I can't teach you all prompt. <laughs> I would love it if everyone got trained in prompt who works with articulation disorders. Um, but I'll cover that. And I think anyone can benefit from it. Even if you don't take that prompt training, I think you can benefit from this mindset. So okay. we'll cover that. And then a couple stories, case histories. So there's seven points that we're going to look at today. We're going to go over it real quick here, and then we're going to dive in. So first, look at structure. Second, phonation. Third, jaw. Four, rounding and retraction. Five, lingual. Six, integration. And seven, timing. So let's get into it. Look at structure. So it's looking at the client's oral structure. Do they have an overbite, an underbite? Is their tongue free to move? Do they have a tethered oral tissue? Do they have a high palate? All that. Basic but sometimes we therapists forget to look at it. In addition to that, I was really taught how to look at the body position, the tone of the client, even the ability to maintain some stillness. So there are some clients who are just all over the place. Right. And that's just something to pay attention to. Do they have some sensory motor stuff going on? Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. One of my clients I've been doing prompts with, when he first came to me, he could not sit still. I mean, normally developing seven-year-old, no other kind of thing going on. When I ask him to put his feet flat on the ground, because we want a really stable body position when we're giving prompts. We don't want their body twisting. We want them sitting in their feet on the ground, Mm -hmm. upright. And that kind of brought tears to his eyes. Wow. Tears to his eyes to have to sit like that. I was like, whoa, we got some work to do. <laughs> so train to look at that. Train to look at their tone. Some clients who might have something like Down syndrome, you are not going to change their muscle tone. Now, I've helped a lot of clients with Down syndrome get to a certain level in the hierarchy, but not all the way up because I can't change the underlying muscle tone, but I can do some things to help them compensate. Okay. Then you start looking at phonation? Phonation. Now, before I took prompt training, I never understood why the sound H was so important. The sound H? Yeah. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's phonation. Now, mm, and ah are the things that you look at after you look at the structure and the tone. And I had had clients in the past, like little preschoolers, who just really struggled to say any word that began with H. Hmm. They couldn't say hat. It would be at. They just leave the H off. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, think about what H does. H You're, gets your breath flowing. Yeah, you've got to use quite a bit of muscles all the way down. So, yeah, there are so many clients who come to me, apraxic or not. I mean, that really starts all the way a, down the yeah. uh, diaphragms, which <laughs> mm-hmm. is a long ways away from your face. Yeah, who have problems with H. Mm-hmm. We get the H going <laughs> and so much good stuff starts to happen. So you look at the mm, ah, and ha. Okay. That's the basics of phonation. Next is looking at how the jaw moves. Okay. Can clients open and close their mouths easily? Mm-hmm. And can they open them to the degree you'd want them to open um, for what we call the low vowels, meaning your jaw is low for an ah. Mm-hmm. And that's what we call grading. The different um, degrees you open your jaw is grading. So I kind of clued into that with my R course. Mm -hmm. And I even have exercises for grading. I just didn't know that's what I was doing. 
But so many clients, they lack that ability to open their mouth as wide as they should. And when they do, they lose stability of their jaw, their jaw slides out. So their lower jaw slides out. So now it's anterior to the upper jaw, which we don't make any sounds that way. Mm-hmm. Or they get tense, all sorts of things happen. Anyway, so okay. you look at the jaw. And then rounding and retracting. Mm-hmm. So this is where we get to the labial facial muscles. So okay. you see we're building. We're yeah. building from just the whole body and muscle tone. And we're looking at phonation. And we'll look at how the jaw moves. And um, then we can get to the and lips. And now, mm-hmm. yeah. So the lips and the cheeks. And it's not just lips. Okay. So you will see some clients who don't have a good control of their cheek muscles. The cheek muscles are not really um, developed. Um, maybe I they can't. I have no idea there are so many muscles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's interesting. Um um, and maybe they can't round at all. Or maybe when they try and round for a sound like ooh or oh, mm-hmm. they're, um, they lose control of their jaw. And so their lips kind of over round. They suck in like one client's mother call it granny lips. <laughs> so can you kind of imagine lips, lips you're kind of yeah, pulled inwards, inverted. Yeah. Oh, okay. For the video portion of this co- podcast, <laughs> you'll be able to see this. <laughs> so um, that's interesting. Um, sometimes when you start getting them to round, they'll round with just their lips and not their cheeks. Can you, you can kind of do that maybe as you're listening. We don't. <laughs> okay. You can, uh, really you you t- lips yeah. stick way out. You, you got to use your <laughs> cheek muscles too. Those cheek muscles are really important. And lots of times they're underdeveloped. And then you get clients who are in a state of what you would call over-retraction. Mm-hmm. Um, a kind of a constant smile. Ah, uh, okay. That's the opposite <laughs> of the rounded lips. It's um, pulling apart. That, that's retraction. But if they don't have good control of their jaw, in order to keep what we call a neutral resting posture. Now, a neutral resting posture is being able to have your teeth and lips gently closed mm-hmm. without having them pop open. Right. <laughs> if you don't have good control of your jaw, two things might happen. You might just have an open mouth all the time. Mm-hmm. And some kids are like that, and sometimes they even drool because their mouth is just open. Other kids subconsciously know they don't have good control of their jaw, and they don't want to hang open, so they give you this big grin. Uh-huh. And they're in this sort of fixed grin I see. all the time. Now I had one client, I think he was 10, and he had this sort of fixed grin. And when I asked him to relax his lips, close his teeth gently, close his lips gently, and just hold that neutral resting posture, his mouth just dropped open. Hmm. And he looked at me in amazement. He was like, like what? what just happened to me? Because he hadn't ever been, just hadn't been used to having a neutral resting posture. He was using that big grin, that retraction of his muscles to keep his mouth from just hanging open. Interesting. <laughs> and it was really interesting. Um, I was still working at the school district when I was t- took prompt training. I went back and I started noticing the little school pictures would pop up on our IEP software. And I thought... Man, you've got a huge grin on your school picture. Man, you've got a huge grin on your school picture. Whoa, is that just a smile or is that over retraction? Interesting. Yeah. Okay, for those who are interested in seeing a little bit more about this and actually seeing what Denise is looking like here, uh, you can. She demonstrated this in her, her webinar that she did earlier this year. And you can get a replay of that at uh, slpproadvisor.com slash spring-masterclass-2, the number two, dash replay. If you go to that website there, we'll link it in the show notes, but that's uh, slpproadvisor.com slash spring-masterclass-2-replay. 
she talks about these neutral resting postures and exactly what that looks like. It's a lot easier to show it on video than it is to just talk about it. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you remembered that because I do show that. So after the rounding and retracting, we get to lingual. Mm -hmm. Fancy word for tongue, right? We always have to have our fancy words. <laughs> this is where most speech therapists start. Mm -hmm. And that's where I used to start. But look at that. That's number five yeah. on the list. Those lingual sounds, the anterior lingual sounds, T-D-N-S-Z. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of errors with those. And then we get to the middle of the tongue. We have R and S-H and C-H. And oh, man, those can be tricky. And yeah, that's in the back, K-N-G usually are not tricky, but sometimes they can be really tricky. The tongue is really important to all of these sounds. What has happened to me so often since I've been prompt trained as I worked on the lower subsystems, the others start fixing themselves. Oh, that makes sense. You get the foundation right, then things can build correctly as mm -hmm. they should. Yeah, and I'm like, oh man, I need have to work on that so much. Conversely, <laughs> if you don't ever get the foundation set, you're going to really struggle to get results that stick. Yeah, you end up with some persistent articulation disorders sometimes, mm -hmm. or it could just sense. take a long time. So when you do start as a speech therapist with the lingual, mm -hmm. it can take a lot longer to correct, as I said. Um, it's much more difficult with a client who has a motor speech disorder like apraxia or significant motor speech disorders. It's much more difficult to correct without addressing these subsystems. In fact, you may not be able to correct it without addressing these um, subsystems. So now that we've got that going, then obviously the next step then is an integration where you're starting to pull everything together. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I just want to mention that all along the way you are integrating because once you get the phonation and you start to work on jaw movement, you're integrating that mm -hmm. and you're integrating that with rounding and retracting. So what kind of integration is this then? So this is being able to integrate lots of sounds across different planes of movement. So be able to say a word like strawberry. Oh, and so planes word. of movement, I guess I should just explain that real quickly. So we have the vertical plane of movement. That's the jaw opening and closing. Right. We have the horizontal plane of movement, which mm -hmm. is the rounding and retracting. We have the anterior posterior plane of movement, which is the tongue. We got the front tongue sounds, the back tongue sounds, the middle tongue sounds. Okay. So now you're being able to integrate words that have all those different planes mixed in. And you're being able to say blends, S blends, L blends. So that's integration. Okay. And then timing. Timing and prosody is the very last on this prompt um, hierarchy. But I have to tell you, I almost never have to do that. Because really? if I've done my work in the other levels. This just falls into place. It just falls into place. Interesting. Once the therapist has a picture of the entire motor system, what's next? So prompt has you write motor speech goals. Mm -hmm. You choose, um, you actually work on three levels at once. And sometimes, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah, sometimes you're really just focusing on just two <laughs> yeah. if the client's really severe. But you choose some um, phonemes from each of your goal areas that you're working on and you write goals around it and you look at what's most important. Mm -hmm. I just might mention if a client has what we call an attractor state, meaning they're in that like fixed smile, mm -hmm. their muscles naturally attract to that position, that's going to be your number one priority. Or if their jaw is hanging open and that's their natural attractor state instead mm -hmm. of having lips closed, that's going to be your number one priority. So you set your priorities and you make goals from there. Mm -hmm. Then you start prompting them. Mm -hmm. um, 
Oh, you take a video. You always take a video of the client in conversation if you can. Okay, some of your clients are not going to be at a conversation. And what's the video for? So you a three-minute video of conversation to actually look at how their muscles are moving when you're not right across from them. It's so much easier to see um, and not miss little things if you can review it and review it okay. and review it. You're, you're taking these videos and then you're actually analyzing them to mm -hmm. see what it is you're looking for. Yes, and I, I'm looking for them as I felt that this hierarchy okay. worksheet. Mm -hmm. But with the really little ones, or kids who aren't speaking yet, only have a few sounds, you don't really need to do that. But you do know where you... Right, but if I'm as not... It's obvious. A, if I'm not prompt trained, <laughs> mm -hmm. these are things I just would want to look for. And it may take a little bit of practice. And so that's why you do a video so that you can review it because you're not going to catch it when you're right in front of the kid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are subtle things you see with the jaw shifting and moving sometimes that um, you don't notice. Okay. So as you're working with a client and they're stuck and they can't seem to be progressing, this might be something that you'll want to look at. Yeah. I mean, it's really amazing what you can feel that you can't see. As I become more experienced at prompt and I've learned how to be real effective at giving these tactile cues, with more experience, you can feel excess tension even mm -hmm. when you can't see it. You can feel lack of freedom of movement in the jaw even when you can't see it. Um, you can feel tension in the neck as they try and tilt their head back, um, even if you can't see that. Mm -hmm. So it's just really interesting. The things that happen, the progress they make when they even do something like release the tension in their neck. You so never know. If you I'm not know. prompt trained, should I be trying to do prompting with my fingers and hands and that? No. <laughs> okay. No, prompt doesn't recommend that. But I'm putting this out there because I would love people to understand all that goes into speech, the things we don't look at. And I would also just, I like to promote prompt. I mean, anytime a student clinician comes to observe me, I say, if you get prompt trained, you'll never regret it. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I am <laughs> sort of saying it's one of the best. I'll say it right now. It's one of the best trainings I've ever taken. Yeah. But, yes, you can learn from this even without taking prompt training. You think you can learn from looking at um, your clients this way. Bring this all together then. Let's, let's, let's hear a success story, something that you was able to use prompt on that really made a difference. This is one of my most dramatic success stories. So a two-year-old came who could only say, ma, 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 like that, mm -hmm. without any inflection in his voice. It was just like that, ma, 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 ma. And he couldn't stop. He couldn't say ma, ma, or ma. It was ma, 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 until he just kind of ran, ran out, out of air. steam. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, he he couldn't control his lips to round to say, oh, um, didn't have any other words. Hmm. Um, so I diagnosed him as having apraxia. Um, and we started with involuntary phonation. And what that means is he couldn't access his, even his phonation, meaning he couldn't speak, except for that ma, 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 um, purposefully. Mm -hmm. So I had to do some things to get him going. And one of the things that worked best was I have this big cauldron I use at Halloween. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, if he voiced into it and that echo did something and he could just start to talk into it. Interesting. But see, it was a little bit of tapping into the involuntary mm -hmm. um, speech. Um, a little cup. If I put a cup to his mouth and went ah, 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 like that, you know how you kind of echo in a cup, that would work. In fact, there's a really funny story. Um, <laughs> so after he had kind of been experimenting with phonating into a cup, um, they were at church where they have a little plastic cup that they 
take the, the sacrament, sacrament in, mm-hmm. and <laughs> he grabbed that right during <laughs> he this, doing right during this quiet <laughs> church oh, meeting and started going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Very loudly. <laughs> that's what kids do in church. That's, that's their um, responsibility. I'm glad um, he was feeling it. Yeah. So, and it was just a gradual process from there to where he learned how to voluntarily phonate. And mm-hmm. the day he learned to say a word that began with H, you were cutting plastic food in half, and he learned to say ha for half. That was the day his mom said everything changed. Huh. And I have to tell you that he progressed so fast from there. It was like that was all he needed. He needed a little bit of rounding and retraction, mm-hmm. but he was like done in three months. Three after months. That. No, not from the start to finish, but after right, he learned. Three months from that point. And, wow. And I was just kind of embarrassed that I diagnosed apraxia a little bit because I thought um, he had qualified for services through the school district, but he finished during the summer and thought he's going to go back in the fall and they're going to say. He doesn't qualify well, why anymore. Why did she diagnose him <laughs> as apraxic? Because it is a problem in our field over diagnosis of apraxia. But I have to tell you, he had all the symptoms. At the beginning, At yeah. the beginning of apraxia. Um, and now it usually doesn't happen that way. But they're not going to think of you as a miracle worker? <laughs> <laughs> you usually don't have results that startling, that dramatic. But yeah, he was one. It was just like, whoa. I mean, he just, the language and everything just came pouring in. Um, so, give, yeah, I know this is a pretty special story. But you have, you, over the years, you have told me a lot of good stories about prompt success. Give me another one. Now, this is a story with quite a different outcome, and maybe some people wouldn't think of it as ideal, but a girl came to me. She was in her early teens, um, severely autistic. She had rather recently learned to use a communication board. I think maybe it was like within two years. So she was pretty old when someone discovered that, yeah, she can communicate. Wow. And the people who taught her how to use the communication board recommended prompt therapy. So... She was really, really challenging. A family member always came with her because sometimes she lost control and they needed to help her settle down. But, you know, at the end of our three years together, and I just mentioned that Prompt says, you know, once you've reached three years, you've probably maxed out on as much as Prompt can do. Mm-hmm. Um, it works really, really, really well, but it doesn't always perform the miracle, right? Just because some of the couldn't totally correct some of her subsystems because she had so much tension, so much tension. If she relaxed too much, she'd get sleepy. Like she had no in-between. I've got to be tense or if I'm going to relax, I'm going to fall asleep. And that was probably more a function of the autism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's only so much you could do. But at the end of the three years, there were some really good things happening. As far as her participation in her family and her religious life, which was very important to the family, that improved so much. She could go to church and stay the whole time, where she used to have to leave early. She could go to activities with the other young women her age in church and stay the whole time, even girls camp. Wow. She could stay the whole time. Of course, um, her, her grandmother went with her right. to girls camp, but she was able to stay the whole time. And she was able to say family prayers for the whole family at big family gatherings. Wow. And, um, and say her personal prayers, her grandmother would listen to her praying. Um, those were just really important things to the family. Um, she could say about three words together quite often. Mm-hmm. So they were little short sentences. Yeah. You know, she also had a communication board, though, if she wanted to say something longer. Right. 
But it was such a huge shift from where you started. From, from having no words. Yeah. No words at all. But it was kind of funny. I thought, hey, you've been holding out on me. <laughs> because her grandmother, who usually came with her, um, told me that she'd been naughty. And so, as a punishment or whatever, her grandpa was making her repeat the scout oath. <laughs> and she was doing it. I was like, wait a minute. You can say the scout oath. <laughs> okay, well, that's a lot longer than what you're saying in here. <laughs> <laughs> but she did progress as far as you could go. And then. Mm-hmm, yes. And that was because of prompt for her. I don't think anything else would have worked. Uh-huh. I really don't. Um, and she was just so happy to have another avenue to communicate. I mean, sometimes she just didn't want to use the communication board. Mm-hmm. She wanted to talk. That's <laughs> terrific. Well, I imagine the big takeaway for this week is everyone should get prompt trained. Well, I don't think you'd regret it if you got prompt trained. Let's put it that way. <laughs> now, Denise is not being paid to say this. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of takeaways. One is our mantra, when you master the simple, the complex takes care of itself. So mastering the lower speech subsystems can take care of a lot of the uh, more complex sounds. That makes sense. That yeah. we teach. Uh, and as one of my prompt instructors said, all roads lead to Rome. Um, and she said this when someone said, well, I've used this approach and this worked. I've used this approach and this worked. And there are other approaches out there for motor speech disorders. Mm-hmm. But then she said, for some clients, prompt is the only road that will work. And I have found that to be true. Okay. Well, we want to thank you all for joining us this week. Next week, what are we going to talk about, Denise? Those persistent, stubborn lisps. And we are going to bring in prompt a little bit because that has helped me be much more effective at correcting lisps. All right. We look forward to that. In the meantime, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating on the podcast engine of your choice. That'll help them steer this podcast to other speech therapists. We appreciate all the time you spend with us, and we look forward to talking with you again next week. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Mindful SLP. We hope you found some simple tools that will have optimal outcomes in your practice. This podcast is sponsored by SLP Pro Advisor. Visit slpproadvisor.com for more tools, including Impossible R Made Possible, Denise's highly effective course for treating those troublesome R's. A link is in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and tell your fellow SLPs. And please, let us know what you think. Join the conversation at slpproadvisor.com. Music